Hey, welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is my co-host and fellow Diamond in the Rough, Mr. Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm good, Andy. How are you doing? I'm so great. Uh, you can find us at our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney Podcast, and on Twitter, at, at Andy Redwine, A-N-D-I-E, and Redwine just like it sounds, and at Larry Brenner 6. Yes. We have a guest today, Larry. We do have a guest. I'm excited for our guest today. So our guest yeah. today is Nivy Engineer, uh, software developer, fellow of Spalding alumni in fiction, TV writer with a new comedy pilot from Cleveland, Ohio. Hello, Hi. Nivy. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm good. Good. Well, we always let our uh, allow our guests to choose the content for this program, and you chose the 1992 version of Aladdin. So we're just curious why you decided on Aladdin and why why that film's important to you. Okay, I I have a few reasons. Um, the easy answer, of course, is Robin Williams. Like, how do you oh, not choose? Fair answer. Right, like that that itself, like I could just stop there. But um, for me, it was also a matter of, like I grew up watching Bollywood movies and, you know, TV shows and movies here, and they were two separate entities and neither one fully represented me. Um, and all of a sudden there is something mainstream in America that shows brown people. And right. while I couldn't necessarily, you know, like I didn't grow up in Agrabah, which of course doesn't exist. I get that. Um, and there were other obvious differences. It was still much closer than anything I had seen here. And like Margaret Cho's show, All American Girl, that didn't come until 1994. So in 92, it was pretty groundbreaking to actually feel seen um, in America which was very counter to my experience until then. So that's fantastic. I never, it never even occurred to me that, that uh, Prince Ali, when, when they're, when they're introducing that song, it's a Bollywood number. Oh, absolutely. No, I never, I never <laughs> made that connection. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So Larry, let's start with the Manish Tana, as sure. we always do. So uh, for anyone who's who's listening for the first time, the Manish Tana, it's Passover where I am right now. We're, we're getting ready for the first night of Passover. And we ask the four questions, Manish Tana, uh, which why is this night different from all other nights? And so the question, and I think there's some easy answers for this one, uh, which is why do we start the story of Aladdin here? Um, why, why is this the moment in Aladdin's life that we're coming into? Uh, why does the story have to take place now? And I think there are some, uh, the storytelling here, it's going to be much clearer than in some of the other, in some of the other movies that we've done. Uh, so does anyone want to jump in on the obvious answer or, or what they think the answer is for why we start here? Well, I'd have to say because that's, because Jafar found the Cave of Wonders. Right. Okay. Uh, that That's a great answer. Uh, because if Jafar doesn't find the Cave of Wonders, we don't have a movie. I think there's a second reason, too. I think I think that's one answer. There, I think there's a second equally good answer, um, which is that this is when Jasmine has to get married, right? right. Um, there's this ticking clock. If she doesn't find someone, this will prompt her to run away. 
and lead to Aladdin's first meeting with her. Uh, there's a ticking clock for all of our characters, really. Jafar has a ticking clock because if Jasmine gets married, uh, he's out of a job. Jasmine has a ticking clock because she doesn't want to marry these fools. Uh, Aladdin has a ticking clock because um, there's only a limited amount of time before Jasmine gets gets married or what have you. Uh, there's uh, he's in prison. Um, there's there's so much there's so much stuff. So yes, we we were at a crisis, multiple crises converging. Uh, to this single point of time. Uh, when we're talking about structure, then, I'm going to ask both of you a question because it's a little bit baffling to me. Why we begin, not the movie uh, in Aladdin's time, but why we begin with the lamp salesman uh, at the bazaar uh, who who comes in, he, he sings his song, and then he starts telling he starts telling us the story of Aladdin. Uh, why not? Why don't we just start on Aladdin? Why do we start in this preamble, which we never have, come back to? Well, I, we do come back to it a little bit, but I have a couple of ideas about that. Um, yeah. For one, most of the Disney movies, you know, historically start with the opening of the book, and we start we settle in with the narrator, who sort of tells us a little bit about what's going to happen, and so I think there's a kind of a nod to that. Um, history but at the same time there's some exposition that's going on here and there's some character doubling so the traitor narrator is also the voice of the genie and he's funny and there's kind of a few jokes and you know not that close and julianne fries and all that so there's a whole lot of uh, it, it's funny and it's lighthearted. but then we go from lighthearted right into something that is pretty sinister and i think if we'd started with something that was really sinister it may have um and of course, you know, Jafar, there's no ambiguity about his character. And and because these films are for families, there's always a line that's drawn really quickly between good and evil. So I think it's kind of nice to kind of soften that before we you know dump kids right into the evilness of Jafar, who's willing to commit murder uh, to get what he wants. That's my thought. Well, I think the other part of that and why I said that it was Jafar-driven timeline um, Aladdin has context seen through Jafar's timeline. So you have to provide the context of why, you know, they mention Diamond in the Rough like five different times before, like right before they introduce Aladdin. So, and even when he introduces him, he's like, it starts with a, you know, in a dark, dark night with a dark character. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact quote. Um, but he, it's like, you're going to see this guy who's going to set the context before you get to the main character here. And right. we know who the main character is because he's the diamond in the rough, 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 the diamond in the rough. Right. <laughs> who is he now? Again, <laughs> no ambiguity. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I think that, I think part of this is possibly the role of um, just celebrity. We Robin Williams is a huge draw to this movie, uh, but the genie isn't going to show up till we we get some distance into Act Two. Mm-hmm. So we get a little taste taste of Robin right at the beginning of the movie uh, to let us know, don't worry, he's coming back. Um, you know, right. But but we want to set the tone. There's going to be some humor coming up. That's that's gonna that's gonna be present throughout throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. So what about the rest of the structure of this story? I, I think that a lot has been said about 
um, how Aladdin is this great representation of, of Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Um, but I also think there's this B story, which I think is really important and it's representative. Um, I did a lot of work with Maureen Murdoch's Heroine's Journey. I really like that book. And if people, you know, are interested as screenwriters are interested in kind of thinking about the feminine, it's really great. But I think the B story is really representative of that with Jasmine. So, you know, Aladdin accepts this call to adventure in the film when he meets the old man in the jail. But then Jasmine's rejecting the traditional feminine roles and seeks her freedom and even says things like, I can't stay here and have my life lived for me. So you have two of those stories that are sort of episodic and, and we get to see some of Aladdin, we get to see some of Jasmine. And I think those two, those two really kind of become um, allies really in their separate quests. So um, there's a parallelism between yes, them, right? They both sure. feel trapped. He, uh, mm-hmm. he feels trapped by his poverty. She feels trapped by her privilege, right? right. Or, or lack well, of really the privilege that comes at the cost of lack of agency. Right. Yes. Right. Um, so, so we have two characters who are both seeking to escape their social standing. Uh, he he's climbing up. She's she's trying to descend, and they meet somewhere in the middle. And I I, I think I think that's great because when you have um, two two characters, uh, one of whom is our primary protagonist, and the other is a secondary protagonist, a deuteragonist if you will, my favorite word. Um, it's good that their journeys parallel each other because that means we're seeing the same thing, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can co- and their paths can comment on one another. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's so fun to watch somebody who wants to be rich and powerful. I think there's a scene in Aladdin's little um, apartment or whatever that... You know, there's a scene where he's so excited about the palace and she is just like, oh, yeah, the palace. You know, it's just this great. I think that duality really comes out there for sure. Oh, I agree. So uh, just continuing to break down the structure, we have a number of things that we could point out as the inciting incident. Uh, The inciting incident is the thing that's going to propel our protagonist to go on his journey. Um, And for Aladdin... I would argue that that inciting incident is he meets Jasmine and everything changes for him, right? He's no longer he's no longer thinking on a day-to-day basis. He now has a goal that he is seeking out, uh, hoping to accomplish. Uh, I, so I would argue that the meeting of Jasmine is likely the inciting incident here. Uh, even though I also think, you know, there are circumstances that are going to propel this movie beyond that. And we could make a case that both Jasmine and Jafar have their own inciting incidents on this. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say? What would be Jafar's inciting incident? The so I think finding of Jaf- the scarab. I actually think it's a little later than that, because the truth yeah. of the matter is, timing wise, whenever he gets the lamp, his life is going to get better. He doesn't need it urgently until a little later in the game when Jasmine looks at him and says, as soon as I'm in charge, you are gone. And that propels Jafar to start taking some significantly more desperate actions Ah. uh, and and propels him towards greater villainy. (laughs) Um, Right, because up up until then, there was evil, but it was, you know, regular, like, regular grade evil. Right. And he would have just kept going with that. 
He's like, oh, I'm going to get this cave of wonders. Oh, I'm going to get, you know, I'll get the lamp. Just standard issue evil. But yeah, then the desperation kicks in. Right. You know, he was doing the slow accrual of power. And now right. now it's got he's got to he's got to risk it all. Right. Right. Good stuff. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. So so that that's the inciting incident. We have a series of events which are rising action. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Aladdin finds the lamp. He makes a couple of wishes. Um you know, there's a whole plot with him not being honest about who he is. Uh, his friendship with the genie continues to develop. And then we get to what we would call the climax, the, the moment the moment of truth, uh, the big conflict between things. And I think we can make an argument that there is more than one climax in this movie. Um, that there there is the big confrontation, to be sure, but I, I think I might argue that there's a secondary climax that might not be as showy, but arguably more important. Um, so, so what would be the big climax? Like, if you were pointing to it, like if you said, if you said to kids watching this movie, this is the big confrontation. Oh, I think when Aladdin, you know, talks to Jafar about his, you know, convinces Jafar to become a genie. I yeah. think in that that whole scene with you know Jasmine's trapped. I mean, she's really trapped now. She's behind glass and the sand's coming down. I mean, it really is a ticking clock, right? And so <laughs> it's an actual clock that's ticking. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that 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 would be the kind of the high the high moment of climax in the movie. I think I think you're right. I, that, that's the moment where the you know I, I love I love the ticking clock. Yes, the figurative becoming the literal. Oh, the, right exactly. there. No, I agree with that. <laughs> um, is there anything else either of you might point to as the climax? Ah, huh. because I've got something, but I want to. I mean, I, I would rather you guys do it because I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for Aladdin, perhaps it's that mo- moment when he. I feel like it's just a little before then. Um, cause his character needs to change, right? Like it's, he realizes that he failed, uh, Genie by deciding not to grant him his freedom and the, and that's when everything changed. So for him, by then he's realized who he is, his journey of what's important happens you, at that point. Yeah. You and you and I are on the same page here. I'm just going to actually point the same, same thread, just a little further down down the line on it, the for me the climax moment is Aladdin's got one wish left, and he has mm-hmm. a choice. He can wish to become a prince again, or he can wish to set Genie free, and that's right. that is the real question of this movie that Aladdin has been struggling with. Like you know, I mean we've been dealing with these issues of freedom and confinement uh, again mm-hmm. and again. Aladdin feels trapped. Jasmine feels trapped. Genie feels trapped. Jafar feels trapped right our our villain uh has the same problem that our 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 heroes do and yet we 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 go along this journey and Aladdin has learned in the moment that Nivi has has figured it out that he's prioritizing the wrong things and we see when the temptation is there and when genie makes it easy for him and says like at this point i just want you and jasmine to be together no guilt wish to make wish to make yourself a prince again Aladdin chooses the right thing, which is to free Genie. 
to free someone else from their confinement. And for uh, me, I think that's the big climax, the moral climax. Okay, so I guess for me, that decision was already made earlier, right? Yes. It it played out in that moment, but when he was, when he decided out in the snowy mountains that he was turning back to make everything right, I feel like the actual decision to free Jeannie was a foregone conclusion by then. Oh, agreed. I mean, I mean, yeah. that's the decision so. he's going. We know at that point that's the decision he's going to make later. Right. Right. I, I don't think we're actually in argument. I think we're on the same. We're on the same thread. Right. Right. Um, but it's hard, you know. You know, dr- dramatically, if I was drawing the line, I would say the moment of truth is when he actually does it, because he could conceivably backslide again, right? He's not going to, but right, but right. arguably he could. It would be it would not be a fun movie to watch that <laughs> <laughs> to see to see Aladdin become a prince again. He and Jasmine kiss as like Genie goes off to a corner, tears streaming down his face <laughs> as he goes back into the lamp. Um, but but no, I I I think there's. I think what we're both pointing to is there's this moral climax in addition to the confrontational climax. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point, Larry, too, and and both of you in thinking that one of the things that is nice about this movie and maybe a little different from Disney movies that we've seen previously is that the the protagonist does take a wrong turn. Which is kind of refreshing, right? It's kind of refreshing to see him really screw up and alienate his friends. And it's not all, you know, it's there's and it creates this great conflict. And when he makes this moral choice and it makes the payoff, I think, even better when he learns from it. Um I think, yes, that's I think really we've fun. seen a lot of paragons of virtue in in mm-hmm. our previous uh in our previous viewings. And and Aladdin is more human than they are. He's got right. temptations he needs to resist. Uh, and, and that makes for a compelling protagonist. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about, Larry, you wanted to talk about breaking the fourth wall. And I wanted to just define that for our um, listeners in case they're not aware. But breaking the fourth wall is where characters speak directly to the audience and they're aware that they're being watched. So it's a merging of what's happening in the story with the real world. Where do we see that? Where do we see that in Aladdin? Well, we see it in a couple of places. Uh, there's there's one instance where I, I think we could make an argument how much breaking of the fourth wall is there in the introduction uh, with, with, with the merchant, because he is looking at the camera, uh, addressing someone. Maybe it's the audience. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's a actual surrogate character that the audience is inhabiting. It's it's not necessarily clear there. So we could argue that that's a breaking of the fourth wall if he's directly addressing the audience. And I think we're intended to to believe that. Uh, but the real fourth wall breaking, I think, happens in the story. And it primarily happens with Jeannie. Uh, Jeannie is making a lot of jokes, making a lot of references that... Aladdin could not possibly get, right? Right. Aladdin has never watched Ed Sullivan. Um, <laughs> if, if he has, if he has, I, I, I don't know how that would have worked out. Um, he, he doesn't know who Bob Barker is. Uh, right. there, there's a lot of, there's a Jack Nicholson impression at right. one point. Sure. These, these are all sort of meta, meta-theatrical jokes, which are design, designed to like connect to connect the genie to the audience 
rather than to Aladdin. Uh, Genie's sort of like winking at us and go like, I know that you'll find this funny because you guys are in the year 1992 and uh, and this is stuff that's happening in 1992. Right, right. And he does a lot of breaking of that. And if if there is a flaw to this movie and it's there there are multiple flaws it's it's a great movie i i really enjoy this movie i'm not dissing it i i do worry though where something like uh sleeping beauty or mary poppins uh which would or peter or less less so peter pan but but are they're all products of their time and whenever whenever you watch them there's sort of like this timeless element that that generations will be able to enjoy mary poppins and they'll get every joke, right? I do wonder that Aladdin, as time goes on, less and less of less and less of those kind of jokes are actually going to read for the audience. You know, like, they really land. I've thought about I thought about that a little bit too. But you know, I, I asked my kids about it because I asked them, I'm like, "Do you know who this is?" And they're like. Yeah, that's Ed Sullivan. Yeah, that's Groucho Marx. Yeah, that's Rodney Dangerfield. And I was like, why can they do that? Oh, because they're my children. (laughs) (laughs) So, And it's just exposure. Um, You know, I'm a classic movie, you know, nut. And so I've, I've been, hey, you should watch this. This is really fun. So, yeah, so my kids knew, but it was, uh, yeah, I I think you're right. I think there might be something about that. Although it's silly. And so he's just, I mean, nobody, my kids did not know who William F. Buckley was. <laughs> so that didn't, that didn't land right. But yeah. Well, honestly, like I went and saw this in the theater. It was a date. It was, you know, this great experience that paralleled that journey that they went on, whatever. Like, and seeing it in the theater, I missed half the references, but I, it didn't matter. Right. Like you're, you're. You don't expect to catch every single reference that Robin William makes, but you're still blown away and it's still funny, right? It can add a layer of understanding to it, but you don't need it for it to be funny. So I, I, I think even then some of the references were, as you would say, dated. Um, and it didn't, I don't think it was, I don't think that was problematic, Right, because you know, Bob Barker and June Allison weren't doing the parades at that point, but we all knew what that was about. <laughs> ah, so fun. But I thought yeah, it also I, helped to engage, you know, because this was set in the Middle East and foreign to many audiences, this gave another point of connection. Well, I think it made it okay. I'm going to throw out that I think the energy that's brought to the character of the genie not only helps to sell those references, even if maybe you don't get them, but I I think it is a a pivotal moment in terms of that kind of um, energy from a cartoon character. We've seen other people try to duplicate that level of wild, frenetic, I mean, they've tried. I'm, you're, you're, people at home can't see the two of you shaking your head that that that, <laughs> that, that, that no, that doesn't happen. But <sighs> but it has set off like the genie is sort of a father character um, to to a generation of wild, frenetic energy characters. I would argue that he's almost more in the tradition of Looney Tune characters than he yeah. is in the tradition of yep. classical Disney. Oh, I do. Me. 
I don't know if they still have this because I cut it out before I got to the very end of the credits. Sorry, people who were involved in the movie for not watching. Um, but I remember in the theater, I watched all the way to the end, right? I sat in the theater and watched it. And then right at the very end, one more instance of breaking the, thir- the fourth wall is when Jeannie comes and has his Ferris Bueller moment and like tells everybody, okay, that's it. Time to go home. So. Oh, that's look. great. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I don't know. Cause Disney plus, you know, went to the small screen. I didn't go all the way to the end. That'll be interesting. I'll, I'm going to go back and see if that's there. Yeah. I'll that's cool. That as well. Awesome. So while we're talking about things that are uncomfortable, (laughs) let's go ahead and talk about some of the things that aren't working in this movie and no longer work in this movie. So there's a lot of fat shaming and there's a lot of caricatures in this movie. And does anybody want to tackle any of that? Well, do I want to? No. (laughs) But should should we? We We should. Yes, we should. So, so Nibby, you had brought up earlier, um, before we had started the podcast, you had brought up the idea about the body images that we're seeing in Aladdin. And I was wondering oh, right. if maybe you wanted, to, you wanted to start the conversation about that. Or I could, you know. Um, no, I can mention what I, you know, brought up to you. Just It was the idea that pretty much across the board, the fat characters are the ugly characters and the thin characters are... The beautiful characters, and of course, overly thin or overly shapely, right? Like, just the sexualization of the form, and it also paralleled beauty and mm-hmm. thinness, and just across the board, which is obviously problematic, um, and too much of a strange binary that they introduced. Well, it's an easy mark for a dumb character to be fat, right? Right. Or a, you know, a bumbly character to be fat or a, um, I mean, Jafar is not. So that's kind of nice that he's the evil character. But yeah, there is this. um, And I did a little bit of digging and I guess they hired a caricature artist to help with some of the body shapes and sizes um, in this movie. So that might be part of why we see everybody as a caricature except for Aladdin and Jasmine who are stylized perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might be part of that reason. And this is not something that is unique to Aladdin by any, by any, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I I would, I would defy either of you to find a movie uh, from this time period where we will see people, where, where we'll see positive representation of all different types of body shapes. Um, right. But I think something that is dated now is we have this we have this moment uh, in, in the opening song where we're just supposed to laugh at people's body types, particularly the, the moment that sticks out to me is, is the one woman who comes out and goes, still, I think he's rather tasty. And the joke <laughs> is, the joke is not that she's sexualizing Aladdin, but that it's, it's her body, right? It's right. her body. It's her voice. It's, it's like, don't you know, you don't belong in this story about pretty people. Right. Right. Um, and, and, that today, I I would like to think is the kind of joke we don't want to see, even right. though. And again, I want to point this out: it's everywhere in this time period. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, the, but I think it's important to talk about these things. So as we're moving forward, 
that we writing things and we're aware as, as screenwriters, we're aware of uh, and casting directors of how we are portraying people and what kinds of biases we bring and how old media has affected, you know, how we think about things. I think that's really important. And I want to so point out, that is actually my singing voice. I wasn't attempting to mimic there. That's just, that's just how I sound. I think that's the brilliant. instrument I've been given. I, you know, and thank you for sharing that gift with us. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so characters, there are no mothers in this film, right? Yeah. It kind of um, makes me crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, interestingly enough, in the early drafts, there was a mother in this movie. Really? Yes. Um, so, so in an early early draft of this, uh, Aladdin's mother was a character. There was a song uh, that he sang about how he wanted to make his oh. mother proud of him. The song is "Proud of Her Boy," "Proud of My Boy," "Proud of Your Boy." That's the name of the song. It's "Proud of Your Boy," uh, where he sings about how he wants to do something that will, you know, finally get her to the place where she's proud of him. Uh, they cut it from the movie. They did put it back into the Broadway musical, and they put that character back into the Broadway musical. Ah. Um, but I, I, so on the one hand, I'm with you. There are no moms. Uh, Jasmine doesn't have her mom. We don't find out what we. There's a reference to her, um, and we don't see Aladdin's mom. Um, but, but I wonder if having her and having that arc would complicate the story in a way in which it doesn't need to be complicated. Aladdin has enough reason to want to leave his social standing. Um, he, he wants to be, he wants Jasmine to be proud of him, right? Does right. he also need his mother to be proud of him? Hmm. I'm also going to throw something else out to you. When Aladdin has nobody and we see him stealing food, that's one thing. When Aladdin has his mother, who raised him, who he lives with, and he's stealing food, does that change how we see that act? Ah, maybe so. Maybe well, so. I, and you could change it one or two ways, right? Like, it could make it better or it could make it worse. It's worse if he's like this scoundrel who, like, mom is like, Aladdin, I told you you shouldn't steal, right? Then he's this disrespectful son. I suppose we could do a version where she's bedridden and sick and he has to steal in order to feed her. But, but, but man, is that a bummer? Yeah. I mean, she, we can't have to, we can't have a murder and a death in the very beginning, right? That would be, that would be tough. Nivi, well, what you got? I would think that because I think it's the right choice not to have the song in the movie. Like I, I agree with the decision to cut it because by him being an orphan, we see that he's good because he's good, not because he's beholden to someone else, not because he's, it's, it's his morality, not his mom's morality trying to be instilled in him, right? Like, um, he's got nothing to lose, right? If he's got a mother, like, then Jafar could use that relationship to con him into doing what he wanted. Um, and then also, like, because he has no sense of home, like, when he comes back, he's not returning for anybody else. You know that this is about Jasmine. Ah, good, good point. Very good no, point. No, I agree. So there's I'm not much some... of a back... 
Now go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm going to throw something else out to you. So let's talk about Jasmine's lack of mother. Because I'm going to point out if we see Jasmine's mother, I'm getting answers to questions that I don't know I want asked. Which is, was Jasmine's mother forced to marry the Sultan? Ah. If she, if Jasmine's mother got to marry the Sultan for love, then why doesn't Jasmine get to marry for love? But if Jasmine's mother was forced to marry the Sultan, oh, that's that's so <sighs> ugly, right? Hold on, can can I interject a slight, like a third option? Sure, sure, sure. sure. That there are there are just two options of marry for love or being forced to. It can be arranged, and that's just how it is. Sure. So making sure that we clarify that maybe that was the custom and that it was arranged and that was, and it worked out fine. I personally think that it would have changed. Like right now, the Sultan, his, his goal is to make sure that his daughter is provided for, make sure she is secure. Like that is everything that drives him. And he is loving and caring of her, allows her to have a pet tiger, right? Like he does what he, and how would that have changed if, the mother were around, how how would his identity as as a sultan, like if the, he he understands loss, he understands the precarious position of women in society, not enough to change society, but we'll let that slide at the moment. But I think it changes his character as well, and loses could lose that loving identity if you then insert the mother taking on the traditional mothering roles of being responsible for her well-being. And he can just focus on being a sultan. No, and ah. these, this is a good point that it's not necessarily a binary, binary, but I guess what I, I, what I mean by a binary, more so than whether, whether she chose, whether it was arranged or what have you, is if we see their relation, if we know that the relationship was successful or if it was unsuccessful, that changes how we view Jasmine's decision making. Is that, is that is that fair? Like, yeah. if we see that, like, Sultan and Mom don't really like each other because you know, but but you know, they're doing what they can do. Or if we see like that, that's one thing that might add to Jasmine's stakes. But then why are why are they forcing her to be unhappy? If they are happy, then maybe Jasmine doesn't need to resist this law so much. Because it right. shows a model that it like it worked from it worked for mom and dad. Why why do I need to escape it, right? Mm -hmm. But since we don't know, and our only our only reference to her, I think, is when the sultan says something along the lines of, you know, your mother could have done much better than me. So right. that's not that's not the quote. That's not the quote. And <laughs> and and it's not said in a self pitying way. He's he, it's he's the actually feeling, right. He's like smiling when he says it. Something along right. those lines or. Her mother wasn't so picky, you know, so, something along those right, lines. Right, 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 right. Um, like we kind of get the best of both worlds where we don't really know whether they obeyed this law or whether or whether the law worked out for them. We just we just know that his view of it informs why he wants her to do it. Right. Yeah. So with Aladdin, there's not much of a backstory, right? We know him in the here and now. He's this kind, shrewd young man. He's got ambitions, but he has no idea how to get the power and wealth he wants. Like, how do you how do you get into the palace? Um, and at the same time, he's got these kind of Robin Hood esque qualities. Um, he for you know he's he's 
robbing the rich to feed the poor, right? And he's also got this forgiveness uh, about him. I mean, his the monkey is awful and does these, I mean, really, really causes him all kinds of, of turmoil and pain. And at the same time, he always forgives, you know, Apu, always, always forgives him. Well, so, um, so number one, Abu's a monkey. And it is <laughs> it is his responsibility to make sure his monkey gets fed. You don't get to have a monkey if you don't feed your monkey. Right, that's, right. That's rule number one of monkey ownership. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I suppose he would balk at the consideration of being owned. Right. Well, I mean, they're dressing alike. You know, like, it, it's it's not quite a wedding ring, but, but uh, there's definitely... Uh, you know, Aladdin and I get up together and then we put on the same outfit. You know, there's there's a bond there for sure. Agreed there's a bond. I would just question whether either one would consider it an ownership situation. Oh, fair enough. I'll, I'll, I, I can't speak Versus to an it. alter ego or something. I, 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 can't, I can't speak to it. Um, but But certainly... Aladdin is the dominant partner in their in their partnership. Yes. Can we can we Yes. Okay. So we'll we'll <laughs> yeah. agree with that. Well, let's move on to the genie. We've talked about Aladdin quite a bit. Let's move on to the genie. Um he's an advisor. Um yes. what do you guys think? He's a comic relief. Um one thing that I noticed in this viewing that I had not seen. I watched it again last night. Um he's really someone that Aladdin processes this inner conflict with. And so we see, that, you know, there's a lot of exposition that we get from their interchange. Should I, shouldn't I, you should do this. No, don't do that. You know, so they're constantly hashing out what's going on. Um, and my favorite part is where, you know, he's the bee. The genie is the bee. It's <laughs> <laughs> just very funny and timeless because, you know, bees are great. Um, uh, everybody knows what a bee is. So... There's a lot of exposition again, and um, it's comedy, but it's also um, it. Genie is a model for how power is used. So we've got Jafar seeking power, we've got Aladdin seeking power, but Genie is all powerful, but he has limits. And so even the all powerful, even the all powerful Sultan has limits, but Genie really has limits. And I think that's something I noticed this past time. Nivi, what are your thoughts on the genie? I think he's a father figure. I think he, you know, he accepts, he sees Aladdin for who he is. He um, he doesn't hate him for his bad choices. He tries to guide him gently, knows he can't make him do anything. Um, but he's like that idea, like, he's going to keep giving his advice, knows when to back off, tells him the right thing to do. And... Even when he's, you know, betrayed, he comes back and he loves him for who he is and knows he can be. Yeah, I, for sure. I agree with that. I'll also throw out that I think, and I don't, I don't know that I realized this until about two seconds ago, which is my favorite thing to, to start talking, <laughs> talking authoritatively about this thing I decided half a second ago. My favorite thing. Um, but would you guys agree with me? That sort of Abu and Genie are the good devil, bad devils, uh, on good angel, bad devil on either side of Aladdin's shoulders. Whereas at the beginning of the movie, he's just got Abu. Abu is always like, let's let's 
take care of ourselves first. There are these orphans who want bread, but we need to eat first. Let's let's be selfish. Whereas Jeannie is always pushing him towards the more selfless or the, the more moral choice. Uh, he's like, you should be honest with her. You should tell her how you feel about her. Uh, you, it's not okay. It's not okay. When he's setting down his rules, he's like, it's not okay to force someone to love you, which is a big clue that Aladdin is doing wrong when Aladdin is lying to Jasmine to get her to, yeah. to, to get her to love him. Right. Um, I, I, I sort of do feel I, I decided this 45 seconds ago, but now I will defend <laughs> it to the death. Good angel, bad devil. All right. We'll give you that, Larry. <laughs> um, I had a question about the genie, though. And yeah. so once Aladdin gives him his freedom, like, why doesn't the genie interfere and start supporting Aladdin on his own? It's almost like the genie loses his power. And I just, I mean, just curious as a choice, or does he know that it's going to be better for Aladdin if Aladdin does this work himself versus relying on magic to make that happen? Well, there's a few, there's a few answers to this one. I, I've got like a bunch. I'll, I'll throw one, but I'm not going to do all twenty of my reasons. Let me, let me give one. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give one, which is the, for thousands of years, genie's identity has been in service, right? Oh. Giving people the things that they think they want. But which actually never act make them happy, or at least, or at least from what we've seen with Aladdin and Jafar, they wished for things. It it may have brought them joy in the moment, but long term, none of those wishes actually made their lives better, right? Mm. Um, so I think Genie probably understands at this point that if he were to keep doing that, he's actually doing harm rather than doing good. I'm going to go back to my parenting metaphor, right? Like Aladdin has finally grown up and it's not that there isn't a role for Genie for his dad in that scenario, but it should be leaving Aladdin to again, make his own choices right or wrong. He knows that he he's got Genie to guide him, but it's not, he doesn't need to be there so he can be there when he chooses to be there. Or when oh, they choose awesome. to be there. That's awesome. So, okay, let's move on to Princess Jasmine. So she wants to be free. She's a truth teller and she's also a truth seeker. And like all Disney princesses, she likes little animals. I love the little bit with the birds um, where she, you know, is has the little cage and she takes them out. And she, you know, she wants to, she's the bird in the cage, right? And um, and Raja's her best friend, which is uh, a best friend and protector. And um, I I just I like her a lot, a whole lot. I think she's got a lot of spunk. I think she's got a lot more. Um, she's she's a lot like um, Ariel in that these these are princesses with agency, and these are princesses that things just don't happen to. They happen to the scene. So I like uh, it, it's definitely a shift. Um, in storytelling, for sure. I I think keeping in mind that the last Disney princess we saw prior to Jasmine was Belle, who ah. suffers uh, a similar sort of 
I'm going to to lock you up. I'm going to keep you in the castle sort sort of theme. Um, I would argue, with possibly one exception, that Jasmine, thus far in the history of Disney princesses, has more agency than almost any princess that's come before her. Um, the only exception I would put to this is possibly Alice, and I don't know whether everyone will count her as a princess. Um, but but Jasmine, Jasmine has fire. Jasmine defies Jafar in a way in which I don't think we've ever seen a, a Disney princess defy their defy their villain. Um, like like she knows that her time of power is coming. Uh, her that that her agency will get greater as time goes on, and she's fighting for that agency. She's fighting for that continued agency. Um, I I like Jasmine a lot. <laughs> I I can't help but wonder what what would have happened if he if she hadn't met Aladdin. Like what her plan was I'm leaving. Right? She's going to explore the town, but what was her plan beyond that? I don't know, but she would have lost her hand, right? True. If Aladdin hadn't showed up, it would have been te- it would have and I mean that, that's a dark timeline, right? Because um, because ultimately, being locked up in the palace her whole life, I'm locked up is strong right, she, rhetoric. Um, but 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 being sequestered has left her completely unprepared to deal with the world outside the palace mm-hmm. um, on its own terms. And I'm not saying she can't be educated to get there, but she thought the dates were free and she didn't have to pay for them. Right. You know. Um, oh. Oh, I don't, I don't like that version of the movie. Okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> when we don't like something, but, we just move on. But like, on. she's got that might, but doesn't, but doesn't necessarily know, like, what was her plan, right? No, I mean, I, I think, I think it's really has a lot. She has a lot of bravado for being willing to leave without no. really understanding what anything is like. She's, she's, uh, she's leaving the the whole scenario it's kind of yeah yeah there is and there's no promise of comfort on the other side and she's she hates it that much and she's willing to do that i think i think it's brilliant do you know what i really like to see from jasmine uh an understanding god gosh is my critical pedagogy coming out right now but an (laughs) understanding that the power structure in agrabah is wrong that there is a great economic divide that the world that she thought that it was is is being mismanaged and she comes away with an understanding that these quote unquote street rats who are living their lives just struggling for subsistence there are children going hungry on the streets of Agrabah I want I want to see her get committed to I want to do something about it I want to see her be I, and I I believe you know we get 15 more minutes of the movie that that she is That's changed fair. by this but, yeah. but we don't get to see it but I want to. I want to see Jasmine become the advocate. She, well, and the, the, I think I think that did kind of come out when she defended Aladdin against the the guards, right? Like mm-hmm. she she sees him as a person, as a right. human with worth, and not an other. And how many other people has Jafar had executed? And now her right. eyes are opening to it. I I just you know. Just 
one little more moment. I'm greedy. I'm greedy. I want just one little more moment of now Jasmine is in charge. That Jasmine would be better than the Sultan. Right. With or without a husband, she would be a better ruler of her people than the Sultan would be. I mean, you can see that from her reaction to the news that Aladdin was executed. She felt guilty that her actions caused harm to this person, right? That it was entirely her fault. So I think that was the evidence that she would be a greater advocate. Good. Well, and the question is, is she going to allow Jafar to control her the way her father is controlled by Jafar? And nope. the answer is no. That's why the staff wouldn't even, have worked on Yeah, her. and even that beginning of where he's telling her a lie about what he's done with Aladdin and then her guilt and then working, and then Jafar starts working that guilt. I mean, I think that's kind of, uh, how did things with the Sultan start? I mean, I'm sure it didn't start with, hey, look at my, you know, look at my staff, right? But the um, difference, of course, is she shifts that guilt to anger, right? Absolutely. And 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 looks for justice as opposed right. to just saying, oh, this is how things are, right? So I think she's I think she's awesome. I think she's brilliant. I like Let's Jasmine about, so much. <laughs> I know, I know you do. Let's talk about Jafar. Um so the audience knows all along that Jafar has these selfish intents. And that he's ruthless. I mean, we know it from the minute we see him. Mm-hmm. And he's willing well, to do whatever it takes to get whatever he wants. Well, before he's introduced, right? Oh, yeah. The yeah. merchant introduces him as a dark person with a dark purpose. Right, right. So, so this awfulness is happening in Agrabah, this evil. And so um, even when Jafar becomes the sultan or sits in the sultan's um, stead and has the sultan chained and has jasmine chained the entire palace turns red right mm-hmm. that red seems to be this color um in the piece that signifies this evil and so when something turns red and dark we know jafar is you know jafar's in charge and it just seems so hopeless well the other piece is the the dishonesty right like it comes out a couple of times one is you know mm-hmm. he blatantly lies to jasmine but also in the beginning, when he um, tells the guy, like, bring me the lamp, the rest of the treasure is yours. And when Aladdin finally goes in, the cave is like, touch nothing but the lamp. Right. So clearly, like, one of them had to be lying, and it wasn't the cave, so. Right. Right. You know that he's not someone to be trusted. Ever. For, but I, in, I, do point, way. I do want to point out that Jafar... Uh, it, this is one of my favorite things with Disney villains, when it's true, that Jafar represents the dark mirror to Aladdin. I love it when the villain is the dark reflection, because like Aladdin, Jafar uh, is not of royal blood. And like what is the first wish that Aladdin makes? He wishes to become a prince. What's the first wish that Jafar makes? He wishes to become sultan. They both right. actually make that same first wish because they're both struggling to rise out of their social class and become more. The only way that they can see of becoming value is to do this sort of rise. Uh, other parallels. Whereas Aladdin is constantly resisting uh, the advice that Abu gives him, Jafar always listens to. Uh, I'm, yeah, this, this is just cementing itself, isn't it? Uh, Jafar always <laughs> listens to to the devil on his shoulder. It's Iago's idea to force Jasmine to marry Jafar, right? Ah, yeah. Uh, uh, 
Jafar doesn't come up with it. Um, so so Jafar is Aladdin, but without the good the good angel on his shoulder, the one who always listens to his dark side, the one who says, you'll be happy if you get more, you get more, you get more, you get more. The greed, which Aladdin ultimately has to resist. Instead of continually taking, he has to say, no, I have to give, right? But Jafar always takes. And I love, and, and maybe I'm wrong, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm polishing some edges here to in order to make it fit. But but I really, I really do think, I mean, what does Jafar want when he becomes Sultan? He also wants Jasmine to be his wife, right? Does not care that she will be miserable being married to him, right? But but also, like through any means, I want he wants the things that Aladdin wants, but but there is nothing holding him back. Not, there's no goodness in him to restrain him to, and Aladdin has that goodness. Well, yeah. Okay, because, I'm gonna stop babbling. But, but well, no, kind of going going further with that. The good, I I would contend a little bit that I don't think Iago and Abu are like both the the evil side. I I don't I don't see Abu as like just the bad part, um, or he's like less bad than Iago or something. I don't know. Um, well, well, what if but, I said to you they were both ids? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that better than That's than? Better. Uh, okay. Um, but like, whereas Aladdin listens to Genie or hears him, ignores his advice, but hears him, that opportunity is not even given to Genie when you know, like Jafar just brushes off anything that that Genie says to him. Yeah. So there's no room. There is no good shoulder. No, I'll go with that. What, what do you think about instead of my good angel, bad angel thing, id, ego, super ego? With, uh, Ooh, I like that better. With, like that with, a lot with, better. With uh, Abu, uh, Aladdin, and, and Genie, and the three of them form together to to form the Voltron yeah. that is Aladdin. <laughs> I like that a lot. Voltron. Sorry, I, 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 I need so to So many different sentence. metaphors. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot going on <laughs> Too here. Too many. There's always a lot going on here, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> You never know what we're going to get. The analogy has a warrant for my arrest. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the Sultan for a second. Let's talk about the Sultan for a second. So we have, um, he's sort of this bumbler and he's foolish and he trusts Jafar and he loves his daughter. But the thing about the Sultan that I get is that he doesn't realize his own power. And it's the same power that's craved by both Jafar and Aladdin, but he doesn't really use it. Until the end when he says, am I Sultan or am I Sultan, right? And he, I mean, really, he's the child. More than Jasmine oh, for is the sure. child. for sure. Um, he, he should not be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> he really shouldn't. I mean, um, if this is a case for, you know, anti-theocracy, would that be the sure. word I'm looking for? Um, he inherited this position right and it's in a pa- sure. patriarchy and therefore it's not even in the running for jasmine to get it like it, it's not even considered until the new live version that but you know like here there there was no discussion of well clearly since this is passed down familial lines you would be next right and we should prepare you for that nope None of that. So no, no. Right. She should be the ruler here, obviously. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, but that's not happening. What about a slight adjustment to the ending here where the Sultan okay. Sultan says, you know, the idea has always been the princess needs to be married so that a prince could rule the land. And I now see the princess is capable of ruling the land. So let, that's why I'm abolishing the law. It's because I know that Jasmine can do the job. And <laughs> I and now now we can open up the choice of husbands so we can find a more compatible match than than the schmoes who have been showing up the the problem with that the problem with that notion though is that she hasn't been prepared she's just been sheltered she doesn't even know about you know money and the need to pay for dates in a market so he's left her utterly unprepared he loves her but has done nothing to yeah provide yeah, her so, what so, she needs. So what we need is for the education to happen. Mm-hmm. If only, and, and unfortunately that's the role of the vizier, right? That, right. That's what you, so, so that's, so there's still this, mm, he's this, worse. He just gets worse. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if what we're really saying is Jeannie needs to stay to take on that vizier role for this family to be whole, no, ah. to, to educate Aladdin and Jasmine. J- the genie needs to be there in that parental teacher educator role in order to prepare them to be the next generation of Agrabah's rulers. Mm, interesting. I mean, I, I would see that with Aladdin's street smarts and I'm, I'm assuming Jasmine was educated academically. Um, they would probably be more likely to like turn this into a democracy, but um I, I, I'm okay with that too. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the cave of wonders. Um, I, I have lots of questions about the cave of wonders and I consider it a character. What do you guys think? Do you think the cave of wonders is a character or do you think it's just an event? It has a voice, right? It does have a voice. It has rules. It has a set of rules. So it's like, it's like a A code. It's a sandbox. Yeah. In both a literal um, and allows, metaphoric sense. Yeah. It only allows someone in whose um whose work lies far within. Mm-hmm. And um it's it's much like the magic lamp, you know, the magic lamp is far within the cave, the person who gets, you know, their worth, their self-worth is there. The the thing that's worth the most is the magic lamp that's far within. And it has a tiger's head. What is up with that? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? We see another tiger. We see Raja, right? So we have two tigers. I'm very curious about this tiger. So there is an element of destiny with the Cave of Wonders. Um, And I, I haven't quite worked through it yet. Because I'm not... There's a whole question that I have about free will versus destiny that the Cave of Wonders asks for me. Um... It seems as if the Cave of Wonders is specifically, does exist specifically for Aladdin to enter it. They talk about the diamond in the rough. Um, other people try to go in, they're not worthy. But but the Cave of Wonders knows that Aladdin is the one who's supposed to go in and get the lamp, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's true, then we're following... a then everything that Aladdin is doing sort of has that element of destiny to it. 
including when he takes the lamp and starts making wishes, which arguably is the metaphor for changing your destiny and changing your fate. And what is the Cave of Wonders endgame? What does what what does whoever made the Cave of Wonders want to see happen when um, when we when when Aladdin gets his gets his lamp and gets his wishes? What what is the end game here? What how how does all of this work? What does the powers that be that made the Cave of Wonders want to see? Okay, I don't here, know. Here's here's my immediate reaction to that. Um, I'm going to argue, just hear me out here, that it was created by Genie. That only the only path to Genie being freed is if the lamp is possessed by someone who would be likely to free him. Mm. That if these, you know, if you're going to be surrounded by all these things and you'll only go for the lamp, which was the, the rule, that's another way to prove that you are the diamond in the rough. And theoretically, there, it could, you know, some other generation could find some other diamond in the rough. Like, maybe it's not a predestiny about Aladdin, but, but about somebody who has the character of being a diamond in the rough. And so this, this diamond in the rough comes around who will ab- abide by those rules, who is cunning enough to get out, and who ultimately has the character required to be able to free the genie. Hmm. I like it. Do you guys think there are other wonders inside the Cave of Wonders for other people? I don't think so. I think it's a one a one hit wonder. Well, but there's the carpet. <laughs> the cave of one hit wonders. <laughs> the cave of one hit wonders. Yes. But I, what about the the carpet? That one always had me curious. Like, if you're not allowed to touch anything, but they step on that and it comes right, to they life. Touch the carpet. <laughs> Does the that carpet not count not a, as something? But the carpet is not a thing. The carpet is a person. That that would yeah. be that would be my wordplay okay. on that, which yeah. is the carpet has a level of agency. It's a character in and of in and of itself that has a sense of right and wrong. I I I think one of the amazing things about the carpet is how much the carpet loves Aladdin. Yeah. How much how the, how the animation allows us to convey uh, that that affection that he feels for Aladdin. Okay. Furthering my argument that this was actually created by the genie, what does he say when he sees the carpet? It's been a long time, right? Like, give, give me some tassel, like, something along right? those lines. Yes. Right, like, right. Yo, Rugman. Like, he recognizes them. <laughs> right. Mm, they have history. Yes. They have history together. So after we've gone through all these characters, um, we have a recurring segment here, Nivi, called Protagonist Problems. Um, and I'm curious with this, Larry, do we even really have a problem? I don't think we do. I think for the first time in, in the history of this small yet um, mighty podcast, <laughs> um, I think Aladdin is the clear protagonist. I, I would agree. I, I think it'll be interesting as we keep doing these to, mm-hmm. to find the point, the movie where we feel 
it shifts to from from having these messy protagonists, uh, split protagonist function in the early movies to mm-hmm. when, when's the point where Disney, what's the point in Disney evolution where you go, boom, here's a protagonist and it's it's clear it because uh, I don't think Aladdin is the first, but no. it's the first one we've done right. where it's the but I mean, he has his save the cat moment where he gives the bread to to the children. He he mm-hmm. has his a struggle, an inner conflict. We're seeing things through his eyes. He he's also there at the big he's the one who defeats his own big bad. Um, you know, uh, no, I I I think. What's nice is not only does it is there a clear protagonist, but that that these supporting casts are also clear lesser protagonists. Absolutely. Right. And and they you can have multiple protagonists with in a in a Disney movie without without um, making them all not the protagonist. Like they all are protagonists in a way. Right. I think you know he learns to be himself. Uh, he's and he's learning something. He's got an arc, right? Changes and grows. His there's a lot of change, change and growth in this film. What he for thinks, sure. what he thinks he wants, is not actually what he wants. He, he, uh, I mean, I mean, perfectly. And just uh, to be clear, that like it had to be him to to have this. Like you get to see the alternate, yeah, storyline. If somebody else would have gotten the lamp, what's your favorite Aladdin moment? I have a favorite Aladdin moment. My favorite Aladdin moment is the <laughs> moment where Aladdin is talking about Jasmine and he's blushing and he's throwing his head in his hands because he's just so filled with infatuation and love for her that he's lost control of his body. For me, more than anything else about Aladdin, like, like, I get it. This dude's in love. More than any of the princes I've seen. I... He's smitten. He wants to hold hands with her. <laughs> I think for me, it was the, if I had to think of it, it's his reaction to when he finds out that she's the princess. Right? Like, we've already been told he's a diamond in the rough. We've already seen him um, get the get the bread and give it to the kids. So you've already established that he's a good person. But his desire to for the riches like yeah he wants to be seen as worthwhile that's what we thought his like he's not going to be seen as a street rat but it's he wants he wants to be worthy of her and he loses sight of that right but well yes. kind of but um ultimately like you see his good character he doesn't want the riches he doesn't you know try to get rich for its own sake. And he doesn't see Jasmine as, oh my gosh, she deceived me. Right. He just, you see his true character. I think my favorite moment, and we were watching it last night, and I asked my husband, I go, is it really like that? And he said, yes. <laughs> so when they kiss for the first time, and you know the, the rug moves him up, and they kiss for the first time, and she goes into her room, and she says goodnight, and he goes... Yes, like, like, yes, this is working. And he falls back into the carpet. And my husband assured me that, yeah, that's how it is. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that made me feel pretty good. That's a good, good moment. I also love the moment when we first see the palace. Oh. I think in the, in the, in the theater, 
that was a big moment. We're all, we're flying and we're flying and then it opens up and we see that palace and it's just, it's overwhelming. I think on the small screen, it doesn't really give the power of that big screen moment. I remember that. That was the first thing that, that I, when I saw that I was in for sure. All right. Here comes my favorite part of our podcast, Larry. It's my favorite part. I know it's your part. favorite. I like it too. It's my absolute favorite part because it makes me think all week and it gets me creative and gets my juices flowing. So given that there are two existing sequels and a Broadway production and now a live action, you know, remake of this film. And an animated how, series. And an animated series, right? How would we do the sequel or the rewrite? I have a thought about this. Well, why don't you go first, Andy? I will go first. I will. Okay. So you know how the magic scarab becomes the eyes of the Cave of Wonders, right? Yes. In the beginning. So I want an origin story prequel for the lamp and the Cave of Wonders and the genie and who chained him and who was his last master who was a lot bigger and what in the world happened to make all of this come about. That is the story I need. It's funny, my first reaction to to that was like, no, but you know it's a sad ending because he ends up in a lamp. But you also know that he sets up this cave of wonders and that exactly. he will eventually be freed. So Exactly. Yeah, I like so that. what if yeah, that's kind of his way of escape is this creation of the cave of wonders. Okay. And I am gonna I I I'm kind of with you on that. I just want to put the focus on something else because there's there's something that this movie doesn't deliver on that I think we we want to see, and that is wishes being granted. Fun, wild, wacky, reality-altering wishes. We get Jafar gets a couple of wishes that change reality, but Aladdin's wishes are he frees the genie, which, fun, but that's at the end of the story. His life gets saved while he's unconscious, um, and he's, he gets one wish that does something cool. Of his three wishes. And what I want is a movie. I want a prequel. I don't really, like, and it can end in the Cave of Wonders. for all, But I want to see some of the genie's previous masters. And I want to see them doing wild, wacky stuff. And for the genie to be like, and this is why we have a rule about not making someone fall in love. And this is why we don't bring back, back the dead. And, like, like, like I want... I, I love want, it. Wishes I gone want wrong. that... I want wishes gone wrong. That's exactly what I want. I want to see wishes gone wild. I want to see like, but that's what I want. I want wild reality changing stuff. I want wishes going out of control. Um, and I want the genie to like sort of know that it's all going to go out of control because he's done it before. But it's like, how's it going to go wrong this time? That's what I want. I love it. I would say. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I want to see what these, like, and maybe it's honestly because I'm watching Superman and Lois, and I, which I'm really enjoying because it is actually, it has a, hu- a whole new We should talk about it because I've watched the, the first five episodes <laughs> too. <laughs> but it's, I want to see how this changed worldview that Jasmine and Aladdin have, how that changes Agrabah Maybe in terms of their parenting, like, does the culture change? How do we get, like, what are the conflicts there? You know, we assume a happily ever after, but what about after? 
Yeah. I love it. But I with like actual that. stakes, like with actual high stakes. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm in. I'm all in, Nivi. I would hire you to write that. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, Nivi, for coming oh, and um, being and choosing this movie because um, you made me think about all the ways in which I saw the movie for the first time and how it changed me at the time. And yeah, it kind of took me back to good old 1992. <laughs> oh, thank you for this opportunity. This was so much fun. Oh, thank you, Oh, That's so sweet. So next week, Larry? We are watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I love it. Do we have another special guest? We do have another special guest. I love it. All right. So tune in then. Um, We'll be releasing one of these a week. So next week you'll see that. Uh, You can find us again at Andy Redwine and at Larry Brenner 6 on Twitter or on our Facebook page by searching for Once Upon a Disney Podcast. And until next time. Wait, 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 wait. All of the podcasts I listen to at the end say that they should rate and review us someplace because that'll help other people to find us. And we should start saying that, although we haven't released yet. Um, But (laughs) like, follow, and subscribe. Yes, yes. Like, follow, subscribe, do all the things. Give us five-star ratings. Tell us that you're we're the most magical thing you've ever heard. Smash that subscribe <laughs> button is a yes. thing that people say. Smash it. So, but, I, oh. but let's, let's do that end again. <laughs> so you can find us at Andy Redwine and at Larry Brenner 6 on Twitter and on our Facebook page by searching for Once Upon a Disney Podcast. And you can smash that subscription button or whatever it is that the kids are doing. (laughs) You can do that thing. (laughs) So until next time, I guess we'll see you real soon. See you real soon.